Welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and thanks for checking out the audio format of our show. If you want to watch these episodes, check us out on YouTube. Just type in youtube.com slash what's in my head podcast. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride as I bring you a piece of your childhood each and every week. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button here as well as on YouTube. Make sure to check us out on all social media platforms. That's where I'll ask you, the fans, to drop a question or two for our upcoming guests. You can find us on social media by searching at In My Head Pod. If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to What's in My Head podcast. I'm your host, Julian, and today I'm joined by Grim himself, Mr. Greg Eagles. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. You know? uh, dude, I, there, when I reached out to you, I just posted a comment. I was like, man, he'll never, he'll never respond. Because like, most people, you guys are so busy. You got so much shit going on. It's just <laughs> like, ah, that you ain't got time for somebody small fish like me. And when you hit me back, I was like, holy shit piece of my childhood just messaged me and it was the grim reaper of all people man and i'm so happy that you didn't take my life but you came on my show so i'm happy to see you man um so we're gonna get it we're gonna start it real quick man so we'll get to grim adventures of billy and many but i'd love to know and i always ask this question on how people got to doing what they're doing but do you remember uh at a young age when you started to realize that you could manipulate voices or dialects or you could play around and do stuff that other kids couldn't really do wow you're going way back huh yeah, it's the Wayback Machine. <laughs> oh, I don't know if, uh, how quite how young. I guess we watching TV. You know, I would always do impressions. Of, uh, yeah, I go. I'm old school. I used to watch uh, Bugs Bunny and mm-hmm. uh, uh, Mel Blank was my guy. You know? Yeah, Sister Sam was my favorite, and uh, my, my absolute favorite was Fog on Leg on. Oh, you know. So I would do all those kind of impressions, and I would watch the cartoons. You know, Fog on Leg on, Yosemite Sam, Porky Pig. You know, anything male blank, I was pretty much there. So, yeah, I would say that's probably, that's probably where it started. And when I found out one guy was doing all those voices, it just blew me away. I really, I was like, wow, how could he do that? So I think that's pretty much um, kind of kind of fostered the fascination in, in doing this. I never, in my wildest, I never thought that I'd line up a voice actor. I, was, you know, I, I just did it. I, I love doing impressions and stuff like that. So I just kind of put it to use. It became more practical. You know? <laughs> Now, when, when you started doing impressions, like I've, I've talked to a few voice actors here and there, and they all have not one topic or one like variety that they like when it comes to voices, but some people hang on to dialects more, or some people hang on to just cadence of a specific person. Was there something about voices that, that you drew to the most? Was it dialects or cadence or phrasing, or what was it about voices that you love so much? Pretty much all of the above, but particularly dialects, Southern dialects, British dialects, and of course, in Grimm's case, uh, Caribbean dialects. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a real big turn off because it really takes you outside the stuff. If you can really get that down, and you can say that you've really done something. Because it's not the easiest thing to do. Yeah. I mean, yeah. anyone can do a dialect and do it badly. And I think that adds a certain charm to it, too. But if you can nail, like, you know, any particular dialect, that really, uh, that's a big turn off. Yeah, you can just really go into a character and it just really makes the... Uh, Whatever you're reading, pop even more, you know? Yeah, 100%, man. Because uh, were you ever a comic book fan growing up? Uh, not so much. I mean, I, I wasn't like a comic fanatic. Yeah. Well, the, the only reason I bring it up is because when I hear specific voices from you guys and girls that, you know, make voices and shit for a living, uh, I always pick one or two of my favorites. So whenever I read a comic book, right? Perfect example. Kevin Conroy is the voice I hear in my head when I read oh, Batman. Yeah. Yeah, Mark yeah. Hamill is the voice of Joker whenever I read Batman. That's, that's what I hear, right? So I always like saying, like, oh, I, I love picking a voice and sticking it to a character that I can see because it makes it funner to, more fun, as I butcher the English language, more fun to read. And it helps me retain it better because I, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm having a little play with Mark. I'm having a little play with Kevin. Yeah, you know, that helps. And later, you know, yeah, absolutely. Once, you, once those voices become established, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, not to even imagine that. I can definitely see where you're coming from. Because, you know, people like Mark, who's a genius, who I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, they just, they they can just do anything. They'll go in and out and do characters and stuff that's incredible, you know. So, yeah, I can definitely see uh, why you would think that, yeah. What, what was it like working with Mark? Were you a big fan of him before you got to, to work with him? Okay, I'll tell you, the first time I worked with Mark, I did, uh, I want to say Invasion America. That was a cartoon for DreamWorks. But I think it was 
the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. They were going to do an animated version of the Blues Brothers. And I had just really started popping a voiceover. I just signed with an agency that had just gotten their voiceover division off the ground. And so when they signed me, the first thing I booked for them was a, a promotion. And then I started booking series, long series short. Mark, I met Mark at the Blues Brothers session. And, I, I, you know, he was such a down-to-earth guy. Yeah, I was a, I was a Star Wars fan. I'm like, this is fucking, you know, this is, this is, this is Luke Skywalker. You know what I mean? But he just was such a nice guy. And we were talking. He was telling me, you know, that all the trials and tribulations, because this is a crazy business. You go up, you go down, you go up, you go down. And at the time, I was struggling. I didn't even have a car. And the guy gave me a ride home. You know, and it just blew. I'm like, this is cool. This guy is a cool, cool guy. You know, he's just a normal dude, man. And this is, you know, one of the biggest, star one of the biggest franchises in motion picture history. He's giving me a ride home. You know what I mean? So I, I, I yeah, it was just, a, it was, but, you know, most actors, I think, you know, we all know what we have to go through in order to uh, achieve what we have to achieve. I mean, it's not, sometimes it's not an easy road, you know, and uh, I think um, that's, that's how, that, that's the camaraderie we have between us. Most, I'm not saying all actors are like that, but Mark is just a genuinely nice guy and a genuinely super talented guy. So yeah, it was it was just a thrill. Yeah, it was really cool meeting him. And it was meeting him in a professional circumstance too. Like that, you know? that, that, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, when you were doing Blues Brothers, is that how you first met Maxwell? Because Maxwell and Blues Brothers came up during our talk. You know, I didn't. Mike, Max may have worked behind the scenes on that, and I, I didn't. I didn't meet him during that time. Uh, I met Max uh, pretty much um, with Grimm and, and Cartoon Network. Uh, uh, he, yeah, I know he may have been doing something in production, which I wouldn't have privy to anyway. I mean, being a voice actor, I just go to the studio and do yeah. any other time. Yeah. Now, that's when I met him doing Grimm first time. Got you. When uh, when you're trying to progress in voice acting, like I've talked to. A bunch of you guys, both you know, writers, artists, voice actors, directors, and all these other things, um, and everybody seems to have like a school. Most people go to school. Some people don't. They're self-taught and everything like that. I've never really thought to ask voice actors, but do you guys have like a college? Like now they have master classes with a whole bunch of voice actors where you can go and they teach you how to use your diaphragm, vice your vocals, so you don't blow out your vocal cords, and all these other little tips and tricks that you guys learn along the way. Um, but is there like a school specifically for voice acting that, that you could have went to back in the day? Or is it just like... I personally never went to any kind of school. I just had an ear for it. I uh, I cut my teeth doing stand-up comedy. Uh, I became a regular at the comedy store in Hollywood here. And my act pretty much consisted of celebrity impressions and things of that nature as well. So that's what I did. I mean, my, my comedy uh, desire, I guess, if you want to say, would be like... The black Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey's <laughs> one of the guys I immensely. I mean, this dude was just out there in his own orbit, and he was he was working out of the comedy school during the time I was there. You know, I, I met him before he even got on the Living Color. That's how far back we go. So, um, so yeah, that's that was my personal school. I guess there are places you can go, but you know, either you're gonna have that talent or you don't. I mean, nobody can teach you how to do a voice. <laughs> you know, either you got the ear for that, and you can mimic that. Now, yeah, they can teach you technique as far as not to strain your vocal cords and something like that. But you can go if you go with a voice coach as, a, as opposed to like a voice class where they're going to teach you different things. You know, I, I'm never I'm not saying that that's not possible for yeah. anyone to do, but um, I kind of learned on my own. You know, I kind of was, was literally trial and error. I mean, I tried my stuff out in front of an audience that they laughed and I knew I hadn't nailed it. <laughs> You know what I mean? And plus, I was getting paid to do it, so I was the best school that I went to. You know what I mean? I'm a a real big fan of stand-up comedy, and we'll get to that in just a second, but uh, I'm so glad you brought Jim Carrey in a living color, because I used to sneak around. My mom would go to sleep, and this is back in the day, ladies and gentlemen, where you had to, like, physically buy HBO, and most of the time, it was on your invoice and shit. You see it at the end and stuff like that. My mom signed up for it. It was one of those three-month things, and all these other packages came on with it. Um, and I was just flipping through and I saw in living color and it was the episode. Uh, and I, like I said, I wasn't allowed to watch it because the shit was just wild. My mom and sister would watch it, but I'm like six, seven at the time. I was not allowed to watch this show. Um, and I saw Jim Carrey dressed up as vanilla ice before I knew who. Uh. (laughs) And then I just, I remember looking and you see Jamie, what, what blew up, like when Jamie Foxx first started, but you see JLo as one of the dancers. I'm like, 
holy shit, you look at the cast that In Living Color had. I mean, it's just hit after hit after hit. All these it, was like, it was like a nest egg for future superstars. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I, I and the reason I brought up the HBO thing was because the first stand-up comedian I ever remember seeing, I was flipping through and Def Comedy Jam was on, right? Mind you, I'm seven years old. I shouldn't have been watching this shit. So I see, Wanda, <laughs> I see Wanda Sykes come on, right? And I've never heard somebody ever, but here's, this is the guy that stuck out the most as such a little kid. Earthquake came on after Wanda Sykes and tore the place down. I remember, like I said, being little, not understanding anything, but being captivated. I'm like, this dude has got a microphone. He's got a presence. He's got this, this aura about him, his stage where he commanded everybody to look at him. And I just remember they would pan out and you'd see the crowd of people and everybody just going ape shit about what this guy was saying. Um, so you were a paid regular, which is fantastic. It's one of those things that most people listen to this might not know, but being a paid regular is really hard to do. One, you got to be funny. Two, you got to be you know, on time and all this other shit. And you got to continually show up and put out good stuff. So it's something that's very, very difficult. What was it like meeting Mitzi Shore? <laughs> you didn't know I was going to go that deep, did you? <laughs> you know what? She was a character. I will say that. But I will say this for Mitzi Shore. Um, you know, Different people may have different impressions of her, but she was first and foremost a businesswoman, and she was a very shrewd businesswoman, and she was a businesswoman in a male-dominated business, so she really had to be tough as males, and she was. She was a tough chick, but I will say this to her as well, about her as well, was that at the time when I was there, there were like two big clubs were uh, the improv and the comedy store. You either work one or the other, but if you were big enough, I guess you could cross the fence and work both, you know, if you were like a Jay Leno or somebody like that. But normally, people worked one or the other. Now, the improv was known mainly for monologists. You know, the guy that would get up there and just do observational humor, just stand at one spot and just, did you ever notice that when the sky is blue, the rest of the cloud, that kind of thing, right? You know, everybody wanted to come out there and it's like, it was, it was a place that birthed uh, Jerry Seinfeld. So you see all these Seinfeldian dudes with their little jeans and their little uh, sweaters and you know they come out and they look like teachers assistants or professors or something. They do a little observation one after another, after another, after another, those type of guys. And I had a casting director tell me once, like she went to the, to the improv with the scout new talent. And she said she just saw these guys come on one after another, sounding and looking alike and she got bored as hell. Yeah. This is from the casting director. Now at the comedy store, when you get the night in the main room, you can see a variety of different things. You may see a monologist, you may see a Seinfeld guy, but you may see an impressionist, you may see a prop comic. You may see a guy uh, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff with a screen in the back. I mean, it was more of a, a, a show. Yeah. You see? And that's what I liked about Mitzi Shore, and that's what I always appreciated about Mitzi Shore, is that she, put, she knew how to put on a show. That was a big room for one thing. You know, you had to really fill that room up with people that you knew was going to maintain and hold that audience. It was almost like a Vegas style showroom, the main room in the comedy store. Mm -hmm. But even over there, it was three rooms in there, but even in the other room, you see a variety of different people. And if I were paying my money to come out, you know, get off the street and see somebody to be entertained, that's what I would, uh, I would definitely prefer the comedy store yeah. because it, it, you, you got more of a variety and you saw all types of comedy, you saw, character comics like Dice Clay and Sam Kennison. You saw just, you know, straight up, normal, middle of the road, mainstream, safe comics. I mean, you saw everything. <laughs> and when I say everything, I do mean everything. <laughs> I mean, it was like a three-ring circus, literally. So I would I, I would say to Mitzi Shore, when I met her, she was very intimidating presence to a lot of people. She intimidated me a little bit, but once I got to know her, she became like this uh, grandmotherly kind of, you know, figure. Yeah. And she was just, I just admired her brilliance as far as fighting talent because she knew, you know, she could shoot, she, she, she had an incredible eye. Yeah. That's cool, man. Cause I, I always love hearing that because I hear stories all the time on Mitzi and it's, it's always fascinating to see everybody's, everybody has a different, not a different opinion in the sense that like, she was good, bad, or indifferent. It's just everybody had a different um, opinion, is the best word I could, I could put up on this person. They had different interactions, right, with this lady. Um, right. So I was like, I always like seeing and hearing everybody's interaction. Um, you ever been to the comedy store? Yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Excuse me. No, I have not. I was stationed in San Diego for a little while. Okay. Um, we well, sure they had one there, right? Yeah. Uh, they, uh, we went to, 
I actually went and seen Polly Shore. Um, I've always wanted to see Polly. Uh, he was one of my favorite actors back in the day. Son-in-law was still one of my favorite movies. Um, and he was in town at the, um, the Funny Bone, I think. No, that was Virginia. So no, I never went to any stand-up shows because I was consistently deployed when I was in San Diego. I was away, gone, away, gone, away, gone. They had a store in Pacific Beach that I would play uh, every so often. It was really nice. I mean, she put you up in the condo right on the beach. And it was uh, really cool. Nice little getaway out there. What was it like getting the thumbs up from Caesar? Do you remember that feeling or that emotion when you actually became a paid regular? <laughs> thumbs up from Caesar. <laughs> well, you know, I've been trying to get in for a number of years. So when it finally happened, I was like, okay, finally. You know, like a sigh of relief. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was a pretty cool thing. That's cool. But, you know, as one comic told me when I got in, you know, I was all elated. Yeah, I just got in. Well, but yeah, now you got to get out. So. <laughs> <laughs> and thank God for voiceover. <laughs> well, let's transition into voiceover real quick, man. So what was the first day like for you when you started working behind the microphone and lending your voice to so many different characters? Do you remember anything about that first day or that first couple shows you might have worked on? Well, I did radio for a while. I wrote uh, for a guy named Tom Joyner. And we would perform comedy bits as uh, celebrity impressions, or whatever. We would also write. We would write and perform little three-minute comedy bits on his show. We had a show that was like a, a radio variety show. Where, you know, you, you know, do uh, play records, and we have people come in the studio, and do interviews and stuff like that. And in between, he do these little comedy bits. So uh, that I, I got uh, I got that gig through a fellow comic, a guy by the name of Brad Sanders. And a lot of people came through there and did that. Tommy Davidson from the Living Color was oh, yeah. for a while. Uh, Larry Wilmore, who's uh, on, he had his own show on Comedy Central for a minute. He's one of the big time, big negative up producer now. And a lot of different comments come in, you know, just to cut their teeth. Mm-hmm. So it was excellent training for me. And so by the time that I actually got a real voice over agent, I kind of hit the ground running uh, and booked the first thing I ever went out on, <laughs> ironically enough. So I was always pretty comfortable, you know, between working in that venue and the stand-up comedy, it just kind of, you know, came pretty natural, you know, for me, so. When, yeah. you, when you were doing that, what was more gratifying? Was it more gratifying being up on that stage in front of that audience, doing your act? Or it was, was gratifying when it went well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the thing about that too is that the thing about club being in a club and the thing about stand up in and of itself, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very uh, tricky art form is that you really got to want to love it, to do it, yeah. you know, because a lot of people do it to get famous and a lot of people do it to be seen so they can move on to the next step and maybe get on a sitcom or get, get on television and have, you know, be a movie star or whatever. Yeah. The odds of that happening are not very great no matter how funny you are, you know? So you really got to love it if you really want to do it. Now, I liked it. I did not love it. I did not want to see myself at like, you know, 60 going on the road and traveling around the country. And it just, you know, just, I mean, you know, and when you're young, that's great. It's just like an adventure. But I didn't want to be some middle-aged dude going all over, you know, the universe trying to tell a joke. You know, you feel like a traveling self. So I got it. When I was, I, I would say it was a means to an end. With the mainstream, in. Um, you know, I was always writing scripts and stuff like that. Um, I did like it, I enjoyed it, but I don't know if my heart is in it to do it anymore. Yeah. You know, but I respect the medium immensely. I don't have much respect for some of the people I see doing it now, but you know, uh, guys that I start out with, it's good that they're still out there doing the thing, man. And uh, you know, people, you know, I've worked with Chris Rock, I've worked with uh, Chappelle and all these guys, and they're still out there doing it. And I thank God bless them because they, you know. They put in the time. That's why they. That's why they're great comics. Yeah, they, I'm glad you brought those two up because my top three of all time, um, and this this will probably consider be blasphemy to most people because most of the time it's Richard Pryor is generally at the top of everybody's list, but I'd come from a different generation and Dave Chappelle is my all time number one guy. He, there is yeah. something about him the way he breaks down, how he just observes life. Right, we were just talking about Seinfeld not too long ago. Everybody get up there and they have that observatory comedy and stuff. Oh, blue sky, or what about this uh, airplane food and all this stupid shit that most people would talk about? But he goes and he takes a premise like racism, like sexism, like something like that in the work, and he breaks it down into something that almost anybody can understand. 
and then he has to put jokes in. and I, I can't remember like, the exact quote he had but he's like i gotta put jokes in here just so you guys will listen just so you know that there's some real shit going on but if you guys laugh about it you still hear it you still take it in you still absorb it so it's it's, it's doing something there and dave Chappelle and chris rock and bill burr are my top three of all time with that being said who is on your mount rushmore when it comes to comedians you mentioned Wanda Sykes. I think she, she just cracks me up. She doesn't have to, I mean, that voice alone gets me whenever she yeah. says anything. She's just a naturally funny lady. I will say Chappelle. Right? Chappelle's a very intelligent guy. Um, I also like uh, Trevor Noah a lot. Oh, yeah. I, I a lot. He's a very funny guy. Um, it's always interesting to see foreigners get a take on what it's like to live in this country. They have a much more objective viewpoint which I find very interesting because nine times out of 10, I'm normally dead on, yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's always interesting when you're looking at somebody, you know, somebody tips it from an outside perspective, you know, they, they can be more objective and honest, yeah. you know, unless you think about it, right? Yeah, I mean, so uh, with that being said, man, you get in and you've got one of the most prominent voice actors. Now I've told this, this story a hundred times across this podcast, so I'll give you just the clip notes on this one. The era that you were doing cartoons on Cartoon Network, in my opinion, is the greatest era of cartoons. You might have a little bit different of opinion because- No, I totally agree. Oh, thank you, man. I'm so glad. If Cartoon Network is concerned, yeah. Especially, yeah. I mean, your generation, of course. But well, you know, I'm really old, so I got to go back to Bugs Bunny. Well, I don't really back to Bugs Bunny, but you know, he had, he had uh, what was it, Hanna-Barbera. Uh, yeah. Uh, Flintstone, Top Cat, uh, Wally Gator, that's not kind of it. But, yeah. I, but as far as cartoons network, you know, that I totally agree. I mean, we, we were right there in the thick of it, man. We were like the golden age of cartoon network. You guys were the cartoon renaissance. You guys made cartoons, and not just cartoons, but you guys made growing up so damn fun. I mean, we've talked about it, like I said, hundreds of times on this podcast, but Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. You had Ed, Ed, and Eddie. You had Courage the Cowardly Dog. You had all of these shows like Johnny Bravo, Samurai Jack, all these phenomenal shows, right? That Cow, really, and, chicken. Cow and Chicken was Texas in the one, man. Girls. Yeah, you know, there was so many hit after hit after hit after hit. Um, and like I said, you've got one of those prominent voices as being the Grim Reaper. Do you remember, was that, was that a call when you got brought on for for the Grim Adventures of Billy Manage tryout and everything. Obviously that was just a, probably a call from your agent or your manager, correct? Yeah, yeah. They were um Jesus, when I look if I look back, I don't know. Really, well, yeah, they were looking for a, a voice and uh we were just messing around the studio. I might have already recorded something. And I think maybe the casting director or the voice the voice director may have been Chris Zimmerman, maybe Chris Zimmerman saying we're doing the cartoon, can you come over something? The voice would be amazing. Mm -hmm. um, my the voice is predicated on a guy, an actor by the name of Jeffrey Holder, who was prominent in the seventies. Jeffrey Holder was not only an actor; he was a great uh, director, choreographer, costume designer, uh, dancer, painter. He was just this this Renaissance dude, but he had this deep fossil fundo. Yeah, he had voice. He was some printed that. He was Trinidadian. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you uh, heard the movie The Lives with Dan Ross and Michael Jackson. Yeah. yeah, well, he directed and 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 basically was the, the force behind the stage version because before it became a movie with Dan Ross and Michael Jackson was on was on Broadway as a musical, and he was a creative force behind that. You know, he choreographed it, he designed the costumes, he directed it, he won a Tony Award for all of his efforts. So that's where that voice came from because when I when they they wanted some, I knew they wanted a deep voice, but if I just gave them a deep voice, that you know, that could have been, been boring. So yeah. I decided to put this curriculum spin on it, and I think um, when Max heard it, he just he just freaked out. He really liked it because I think initially he was thinking about a British voice, like uh, yeah. this guy named he might have told you like Christopher Plummer or the guy that played Dracula, I think, in the old movies back in the sixties, whatever. So I put a I put a Caribbean spin on it, and I think yeah, it kind of worked. It, well, it did work. I think it looked pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, kind of man. It, it, it's a, it's like I said, it's a few cartoons that you know most of the time you remember the show and everything like that. But there are certain shows that you that me specifically that I can just point out. And the first thing I think of when somebody says Billy and Mandy, I don't think of Richard or Gray. No offense to either of those two. I think of Grimm. I think of that voice. I think of that. 
Now, whenever, whenever anybody wants to be whisked off to the afterlife, right, or whenever anybody wants to have their eulogy read, most of the time they like, I want Tom Hanks, or I want Morgan Freeman, or uh, why am I blanking on his name? Um, James Earl Jones. I, I don't know why I just blanked on his name, but everybody wants that iconic voice. What better way to see what comes after life than to be whisked away and be talked to by Greg Eagles as the Grim Reaper? I mean, that's the voice I want to hear as I'm transitioning to whatever comes after this life, right? Um, when you I, agree. <laughs> <laughs> I would hope so, man. Uh, when you started doing this voice, I mean, was it natural to like just slip into that voice, that dialect, that, that, that cadence, or was it something that you really had to strive and, and, and try to find your own? No, man, that's why it was so beautiful because it didn't take me out of my comfort zone. I didn't have to stress the chord, you know, and uh, I, I always liked doing um, what they call a Jamaican patois, man, you know, because my first girlfriend was Jamaican and I learned it really good, you know, and she would get mad at me and call me all kinds of stupid names and it, I would crack up, you know what I mean? So to do that and then put the little basso fundo on top of that, you know, so it was kind of like, it was easy. It was like, you know, it's like, you know, no big deal. And like I said, it was, it was in my range. Mm-hmm. I didn't have to pitch it up or pitch it down. I mean, pitch it down, of course, but I didn't have to like strain. So yeah. just he was such an easy character. And then, um, you know, as I read the premise of the show, I was like, "Wow, this is going to be out." You know, this is going to totally be out there. Two kids kicking Beth's ass <laughs> because he loses a bet. Okay, I'm with that. <laughs> we'll see where this goes. I didn't know where the cartoon was going to go. I didn't know where it was going to work. But I'm like, okay, this premise alone, you got. Now, when this show was hot and heavy, like I was talking to Maxwell about it, and he was like, the ratings, they were top three cartoon every week whenever a new episode oh, would air. Yeah. You guys were that up there. Um, now, a lot, of, a lot of you guys and girls will sit there and say, I don't like watching myself or hearing myself. But what was it like? Whenever you put your, your voice to something, do you go and watch it? Or like with the video games that you work, will you go and play those video games? Or are you just like, once it's done, I don't really want to see it or hear it again? Okay, first of all, I'm not a gamer period at all. I mean, if I had all the stuff to do it, I guess so. I just don't have the uh, experience for that. I'm on the mindset that just the I can't do that. Yeah. I'm going to do games. But yeah, I turn on Grant maybe now and then. I remember a line or something that would just crack me up. I remember something that may have happened in the studio when we were recording that. Yeah. Um, right now, I hear that they're going gangbusters on HBO Max because HBO Max brought up the old... Um, the whole, as we were talking about, the golden age of Cartoon Network catalog, mm-hmm. all the great ones on HBO Max. So I'm going to try to check that out as well. I haven't turned it on and watched it yet. But um, sometimes, you know, you get critical, you hear things, you're like, oh, why did I see it like this? Nah, I should have done like, you know, I went, oh, that, oh, that, oh, you know, but that, that happens every now and then. Everybody gets, you know, can get hypercritical sometimes. But, but for the most part, um, I just get caught up in the story again because the writing became so funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know the characters it's just like I'm, I'm way beyond just listening to myself I'm just caught up in the plot you know sometimes you know? now what was it like? did you try to voice any other characters they have you come in and try to voice any other characters was it specifically for Grimm when you came in I did two characters I did Grimm and I did Spur Spur was like the bully man that guy you know yeah so it was two characters that I did but that but but Spur kind of came a little later but the primary the primary character that I um that I did audition for was Grimm. Yeah. Okay, so that was that's that's what I meant. I probably should have clarified just a little bit because uh, we got we actually got a question about Spurg. I don't know when the last time you got a question about Spurg was, but we got one in there. Um, but yeah, that's what I meant. That when you came in to try out to do the casting and everything like that, was it just Grimm? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, we were really looking for someone to do that character because it was a big, you know, a pretty big character. When when you're doing that, and you guys are trying to flush out the idea. You get there. Do you have any context before you go in there on like what you're reading for or, you know, what this character is? Or is it once you get into the studio, they give you that piece of paper and they say, this is the character. This is what he looks like. Here's some stuff that might have some pertinent information on him. Well, hopefully you can get that before you get into the studio. So you have <laughs> more time to prepare. Uh, normally, you know, without typical auditions, they will send you a drawing of the character, a description of the character. Um, and then, you know, they give you a piece of dialogue and you record it. That's what they do now. I mean, mm-hmm. at home, when I have my, I have my setup here and everything. So when I turn on, I get on email for an audition, it's normally, it's normally like a drawing. You see a drawing and then you see the, uh, the dialogue and they give you a brief description of who the character is. It's pretty thorough. 
you know, it's pretty fair. Yeah. Now, when, when you're trying to flush out a voice for somebody, when you see something, what, what do you get more inspiration from? The picture of the character or the, you know, the little biography that they might give you on this character? The picture, pretty yeah. much. If it's a big guy and he's like all yoked and muscular, you know you're going to have to get down and dirty and give him a deep, menacing voice. But if it's like a scrawny, like character character, like a cartoon kind of character, you, you get a feel for that. You know, it's going to be something different. The picture says everything. Everything. That's the most important thing to me. You got to know how he looks if you're going to know how he sounds. Now, with all the characters that you've played, both in video games and in cartoons and animation, even the actor, or not the actors, excuse me, because you're the actor, the, uh, the roles you've played in live action stuff, uh, out of all of those guys that you've played, is there one, I mean, I'm gonna, I want to assume it's grim, but that you can just slip right into that's like putting on shoes, or is it maybe somebody else that we haven't discussed yet? Well, you know, it could be anybody that, that's within my normal range. I mean, I... Um... It's always easy when it's in your veins and you don't have to strain, like I say, you don't have to strain your core. Like Spurg, it's like, you know, that's not how I normally talk. But it's like, you know, if I do that for like um, a couple of two or three hours, it's like, it's like ah, you know what I mean? But there was a character that I love that I did for HBO um, Family. It was a show called uh, Crashbox. Mm-hmm. Uh, Crashbox. It was on HBO, HBO Family for Kids. And it was a character called Sketch Plan. It's sort of like uh, Stephanie Swedish. Okay. a more kind of out there version. It was animation. It was all these different uh, types of animation, regular animation, uh, claymation, and all this. But it was for kids to teach them different things. Sketchpad was this bebop sort of jazzy character from the 50s. He had like the beret and the dark sunglasses, you know. And he kind of talked like this, you know, because he was really, really cool. And that's the guy that I like. He's laid back. Yeah, that's the one I'm to slide on. That's fantastic. Um, so I we're going to get to the fan questions here in just a sec, because then we got to wrap up in just a few. Um, but this is the, the my favorite part, but also the least favorite part, because depending on who I'm talking to, like I didn't realize Maxwell was very uncomfortable with compliments. Um, so I was... <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand it because he was just looking at me. He's doing this, and he's and he looked at me like after the third or fourth compliment that I gave him about something, and he's like, "Yeah, I just, I just don't take compliments very well." He's like, "I appreciate it. I just don't take them very well." So you know, thank you. And then, hey, uh, come on, man. <laughs> like I said, before we get to the fans' questions, man, I always like to say thank you, man, because you 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 went and did something with a lot of like I said, a lot of the guys and girls that were during this era of Cartoon Network. These cartoons specifically played such a huge role. For me right i've got the simpsons on my shirt i couldn't find my my uh cartoon network where it had all of that that uh 98 i think it was like 2009 characters right so the cow and chickens the courages the samurai jacks the grim adventures were over here on the left side man um i love these cartoons and I, it was cool is i actually get to we brought up hbo max just a little bit ago i get to pass these down now to my son and i got another son in a month and he's gonna see him too it's so great, yeah. Generational, man. That's really good to know, you know. Well, yeah. I mean, you think about it. Bugs Bunny's been around for how long? We were talking to Bugs Bunny and Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn and Daffy Duck are my two favorite Looney Tunes of all time. I don't know what it was. I have to think, and like I said, I work in the restaurant industry, and I'm from the South, right? So my favorite thing to eat in the world is fried chicken. If I could eat this every day and not be 400 pounds, I would eat this every day. And if you could, if you could actually live at 400 pounds and be healthy and happy and you could have a long life, I might eat this every single day. There was something about that chicken that I absolutely loved. And then duck is my second favorite poultry. So I don't know if it's just because I see these guys and I think of like, oh man, I love seared duck breast or I love Peking duck or I love fried chicken. So that's why I like these guys. But those two are my favorite characters. But nonetheless, man, we're not talking about foghorn leghorn or daffy duck. We're talking about Greg, man. So I really enjoyed this cartoon, especially like I said, as a kid, but as I grew older and became an adult. When I would deploy, I would take stuff with me, DVDs mostly, and I would have just these stacks of binders and shit of DVDs for cartoon shows, movies, and Grim Adventures, and as well as all those other cartoons we mentioned, I always had with me. And I would pop it in when I would miss my wife and my son, right? I was very young on my first deployment, 19, 20, and missed home like crazy. We had just had the baby. I'd left after he was two months old. Um, so you guys and girls did something that I didn't think was possible. You guys let me laugh when I didn't think laughing 
would do anything, right? You guys took my mind off of the depression and the anxiety of missing my family and missing, you know, what normal people got to see, you know, to experience their kids grow up or experience, you know, their time with their wife, sleep with their wife or their husbands, depending on the gender, depending on who they love, right? So they got to experience a whole bunch of different stuff that I really didn't get to experience. However, you guys took my mind off of that for a very small, you know, very small blip in the map when it comes to life or when it comes to that deployment. And thank you for that is essentially what I'm getting at, Greg. You guys made it bearable. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good to hear. And I, I totally appreciate your appreciation, man. Because, you know, when you're doing it, you're in this bubble in the group, you know. And you know, you realize that some point is going to go out in the world, but you never know the impact it's going to have. So that's good yeah. to hear. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you, man. Um, so my second favorite part of the show is letting the fans kind of take the wheels. Sometimes the questions are fantastic. Sometimes they're horrible, but nonetheless, we're going to get to as many as I can. Like I said, I told you to begin with, I think you have the most thus far. You got it beat. You got Maxwell beat by one page. So Maxwell, yeah, see, there you go, Greg. <laughs> All right. So the first one, if I butcher your names, guys, I'm really, really sorry. But HJP Merch wants to know, what's the best piece of Billy and Mandy merch you ever saw during the, sh the height of the show? Boom. Hello. <laughs> It's the Instagram uh, plush, man. This is my favorite. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that came out, a lot of really good stuff. There was this kind of statue thing that Matt, uh, Maxwell gave all of us. I have it in a box, but I can't go get it. Now, I haven't even opened it because uh, I haven't, you know, been a while. I'm waiting until I can display it prominently in my mansion. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite, man. I love this guy. He's almost like a little puppet. And um, whenever I do signings, we're going out to different cons all over. Put them up on the table and people like it, you know. And now that the show is being shown again on HBO Max, and we're, you know, being exposed to a whole new audience. So, um, you had a, you had a, you had a, uh, a grim plush, you had a, you could probably sell it for a million dollars because y'all have somebody. Grim and Billy's like, you know, with Mandy's out for whatever reason. I tried to find a Mandy to complete the set. This dude was trying to sell it to me on eBay for like 150 bucks. And I wanted to tell him, I say, dude, I'm Grim. What are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, man. Whoever's got that Mandy out there, send it to Greg. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beetle Becky wants to know, <clears throat> while recording Grim, were there any line now? These are the type of questions I don't try to ask because trying to ask you guys to remember 14 and 15 years ago and maybe even sometimes longer than that is very, very difficult. So, ladies and gentlemen, if we can't answer this question, I'm sorry, but I'm pretty sure there's been... What is about the line my favorite line? Is that the uh, yeah, It's there. like, was there any lines or jokes that you improvised that made it into an episode? Uh, no, they didn't really allow for much improvisation because the script was pretty much written and you had to say what it was on the page so yeah. and they were pretty funny scripts you know very funny i mean uh, maybe a sound or a gesture or something like that after after the line if i like made a sound or something like that that kind of uh, accentuated what i said but as far as the dialogue itself no beautiful no information <laughs> um amanda 414-591-74 wants to know i don't know no that wasn't her number i was about to say that's one number too short for a phone number uh, what was your favorite part about voicing Grimm? The fact that I didn't have to strain my voice to Grimm. <laughs> like I said, I love this character and it was just such an easy fit. And it was just uh, in my range. I love the fact that I could do him with an accent. I don't get to do many characters that have accents. So the whole Jamaican Trinidadian Caribbean team came not way to me and I loved it fact that I had the chance to do that. Show some show some range. Beautiful. Um, I'm assuming this is Channel Merit Creator wants to know. You already answered that one. Uh, what do you find most relatable about Grimm? Uh, the fact that he has to deal with two brats. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we don't have to we don't have to put up with stuff in his life, but this poor guy gets to like the brunt of it. You know, you got an ADD loony, and then you got this little sociopath. Because <laughs> I think that Mandy is far scarier than Grim. <laughs> oh, yeah. And God only knows what she's gonna grow up to be. <laughs> um, so I think that the relatable thing is that we all have to deal with stuff in life that we uh, we all have our burdens. So I related to the fact that he had to uh, 
deal with these people. <laughs> I don't blame you, man. Uh, Thomas Hederman wants to know, <clears throat> between the mediums of animation and video games, which do you prefer to work in? Uh, I like both, but I think animation is a little bit more rewarding because you actually get to interplay with the other actors simultaneously for the most part while you're in the booth. You know, the games, you're pretty much acting with yourself. You yeah. know, and um, it's a lot of dialogue and it's a little bit more time consuming. But uh, animation, is, it goes pretty quick and you can play with the other actors. And um, hopefully if you get a series, you can make a nice chunk of change. And I, yeah, I will prefer animation. I mean, well, if I have a choice, I like both. But I mean, if I have my brothers, I love them. I hope HBO Max is going to be cutting you a big ass royalty check. I know a lot of that's going to come from my side because I've been streaming the shit out of that show since it started. <laughs> up. So, um, and then Thomas wants to also know, I know I'm 420 friendly, but is Grim 420 friendly? <laughs> What do you think, man? Having to deal with these stupid kids. Absolutely. And plus, what he's, hey, you got a Jamaican accent, man. Come on. <laughs> do the math. <laughs> oh, beautiful. Uh, Rafa the Beat wants to know, do you feel Aku Aku was, uh, was way underused in Crash Bandicoot 4? So here's the deal. Like I said, I don't play games. So <laughs> personal man, I would have no way of going. <laughs> I mean, he was there. I know he was there somehow. So, I me mean, not being a gamer, I couldn't really answer that. No worries. Uh, John, Mark's Jonathan71 wants to know, what was it like playing the Tiki God from Dexter's Lab? Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. I love Dexter's Laboratory. Lab Laboratory. Laboratory. Um, I think I did two of those, but I remember that. I do remember recording that. I remember um, I did it with a guy named Eddie Deasy. <laughs> <laughs> he was a pretty big voiceover actor. He, uh, he was in a movie called 1941 that Steven Spielberg directed with John Belushi. Yeah, he was a really good character actor. Too. Um, it was fun. It was fun. Because Tiki kind of had that little Caribbean thing going on as well. So it's kind of aqua apples, I guess. They got always give me for the Caribbean vibe. It was almost like a prequel to Grimm right there, that Tiki guy. Yeah, kind of. Sort of. <laughs> um, yeah. I actually meant to ask this one first. This is coming from one of your friends. Um, and he's coming on the podcast in just a couple weeks, too, Mr. Robert Alvarez. Uh, oh, man, love that guy. Hey, Bob, what's up, man? <laughs> he, uh, the first thing he said, he asked the question first, but he wanted, he wanted me to tell you, he says, hello. And then, are you trying to pitch your project about the superhero grandma still? Yeah. Yeah, I am. I was called Aunt Minnie Spy Mama. Mm -hmm. Aunt Minnie Spy Mama is a 77-year-old black female James Bond. Nice. Uh, so imagine your granny as she was uh, 007. I'm trying to pitch everything I ever came up with, man. I mean, I'm still going for it. So, yeah. Yeah, Robin, you know if it happens, Robert, who's going to direct it, right? <laughs> I, I hope so, because I can't wait. There's one show that I'm watching right now that I forgot how fucking phenomenal it was. Samurai Jack is one of the greatest pieces of animation I have ever seen in my life. And I know we're talking about Grimm and everything right now, but that show specific, there is something about Gendy that is, he's on the Mount Rushmore of animators for me. Um, that when I found out Rob worked on pretty much everything that we've essentially talked about from Cartoon Network and on, and then did, did a few shorts for the what a cartoons that I've absolutely loved. Phenomenal he, human. He directed Mentor. He directed Teapot. He did an amazing yeah. job. That's how I know him. Yeah. yeah. Great guy. Yeah, I can't I can't wait to have him on. Um Wabbit Bunks Bunks wants to know. Have you <laughs> have you gotten rid of those lousy kids, Grim? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Grim will ever get rid of those lousy kids. Yeah. He's tethered to them, and that's his his fate. <laughs> Beautiful. That's his cross. There's a billion man wherever you're going to see Grim, you're going to see billion man in And I think we're all the best. <laughs> I think we are too, man. Uh, you shouldn't have one. You can't, it's not called the one Stooges, it's called the three Stooges, right? You can't have Grim without Billy and Mandy, right? Um, Absolutely, yeah. Billy Bob wants to know as an aspiring voice actor, do you have any advice yeah. in terms of making similar choices, especially when playing new characters like Grim? Rifting and playing with voices of Grimm. So I'm assuming he was talking about they wanted a British guy, but then you threw out a little Trinidadian, little Caribbean flair, and that's what stuck. So do you have any advice for an aspiring voice actor? 
try different things always. Absolutely. You know, see what sticks. So, you know, you may have, um, or someone, what, what happens frequently, as is the case with this, someone or a creator may have one voice in mind. But if you go in there with something different, give him more colors in the palette to choose from, mm -hmm. he may just change his mind and realize, you know, hey, I didn't think of that. Let's do that, you know? So yeah. always, always uh, you know, mess around with experiments. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Grim um, <clears throat> is, uh, this is coming from the Brain Teaser 2. Grim is unquestionably iconic, but let us not forget. Uh, here's the one I was talking about with Spurg. Uh, but let us not forget your contribution to Billy and Mandy, Spurg. Do you have any stories regarding our favorite Ensville earwig? Spurg? Yeah. What freaked me out is when they found out that Spurg was, you know, he's coming, he's this tough bully guy. But what he really is is a dancer. He wanted to be a dancer all along. <laughs> I think they turned that character on his tail and that just cracked me up. Um. So that one was one of my favorite questions. This is hands down my favorite question right here. And I, we can pass over it if you don't want to, but I, cause I never ask you guys, it's always weird. Hey man, come on my show and do that voice you do that we all know. It's like, nobody's a trained monkey. You're not gonna sit here and just throw peanuts at people and ask them to do stuff that they're not getting paid for. It's just stupid, right? However, this one is phenomenal, right? Uh, Rachel San Diego wants to know, can you sing girls just wanna have fun as grim? Well, if I knew the lyrics. <laughs> All I know is the chorus is just girls just want to have fun. There's something about the middle of the night. My mama said, what you going to do with your life? Or something, please. Oh, baby, please, I'm not the fortunate one. Because girls just want to have fun. Oh, girls just want to have just a wonder. Just a wonder. Just a wonder. Just a wonder. And girls just want to have fun. Is that good enough? <laughs> oh, I know what exactly is going to be the trailer for this week's episode. <laughs> it's be that one. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was actually a pretty cool question. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, some of the what you were just talking about earlier about everybody having a different opinion or a different uh, look, trying to get anything out there that you pitching right. From we talked about teapots. So, uh, and then the Netflix with um, Narcos Mexico, right? So you're trying to get everything out there. I love seeing everybody's questions because it makes me think about stuff that I never really thought about, or I never even had the wherewithal to think about. And not so much just that one. That one was fun as hell is what I'm getting at. All these other ones that people ask, I was like, oh shit, I forgot about that. Or now I'm remembering that, that specific scene or that specific thing. So I love this part of the interview. I think it's always fun. Um, and then this is not a question, but uh, a guy right after that, exosuit on, he's like, I need this in my life. So I'm glad we got those two. Those two people are going to be happy as hell. To be. <laughs> um, so Black Rose Valkyrie wants to know, um, what line, if any, made you laugh the most that you couldn't get through reading? I know that's hard to remember, but is, do you remember anyone that? I remember a line that stuck out when he, um, as it pertains to Grim. When he, <laughs> and I, I do get a chuckle when I think about it. He looks over at Mandy, because everybody knows me. Mandy, to me, like I said, Mandy is way more scary than Grim will ever be. She made one of her cutting remarks, and mm -hmm. Grim looks over at her, and he goes, um, the whole childhood wonder team went right past you. Get it. And that just cracked me up, because that just kind of sums who she, who she is. Man. The kid has no bearing of you know being a kid. Just a little, she's a sociopath. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Um, this one's a little uh, depressing, but Ed Network wants to know. Great fan of the show, right here. Um, what were you feeling at the moment the show ended? Obviously, in the Maxwell episode, we talked about how they came out and just completely did all of you guys dirty. What Stuart Snyder did, he should have got kicked in the balls for. Um, however. What happened happened, but do you remember the feeling that you must have been feeling? I don't. I, I don't even know the rationale behind it. I don't know the story or why. All I know is we are popular as hell. We are great. Suits, suits came in, 
that so when time uh, when Turner Media and AOL did their whole merger, right, and this affected right. a couple different companies. It affected Cartoon Network because Cartoon Network was essentially owned by Ted Turner, right? Fred Steibert started the whole what a cartoon and cartoon cartoon movement, and right. even before then, when AOL and Time Warner merged, uh, WCW. If you were a wrestling fan back in the day, I am still to this day. Um, WCW had almost the same thing. When you hear people like Eric Bischoff, the guy that ran WCW, the World Championship Wrestling, um, they had suits come in and tell them, hey, we don't want this, we don't want this, we don't want this. No insight whatsoever in what people like. They saw it as dollars and, and or ones and zeros. Oh, I'm very, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even, but yeah. even with, and I talked about this with Maxwell, even with that rationale, if you're just thinking numbers or you're thinking money, Maxwell told me this show was top one, two, and three depending on the week and what it was airing with every single week, this episode dropped or every, every week an episode dropped. So they weren't looking at it in the sense that, Oh, this isn't making us money because guarantee you any studio out there right now would kill for half of the ratings you guys had back in the day. They would absolutely lose their shit. If they half of the ratings that you guys had in today's market. So I don't know why they essentially canceled it. Maxwell said there was a whole bunch of suits. They said, everybody come into the office and they essentially dressed everybody down. They were super disrespectful to everybody involved. Um, they shit on Maxwell. You know, like I said, you guys really got screwed hard on this. Uh, and and I yeah. wish we could go back in time. But uh, that's essentially in a nutshell what Maxwell told me. Suits said, came in and said, hey, wrap your shit up. They fired Gendy. They fired Craig McCracken. So Samurai Jack, Primal, um, Dexter's Lab. And they fired the guy that created the Powerpuff Girls. And then he was like, I, I'm not Gendy. I'm not Craig, so I'm next. And then sure as shit, they called him in the office, said, fuck off, essentially. Uh, we don't need you anymore. We don't want you anymore. And that's essentially what happened, sadly. So, um, but yeah. Uh, but what was it like when it filtered down to you guys? I mean, what, what was going through your head? I was shocked, first of all, because I knew he was a show. Like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me about the politics behind it. I mean, because yeah. that's, that's, that's when commerce meets art. You don't, you know, you, this is a business and you have businessmen who really don't know anything other than what, what they know. And sometimes even what they know, they don't know because they don't, if, you, if, you, if you're a businessman and you don't know what's making you money, then you're not a good businessman. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, that happens all the time. It happens. Um, Fortunately, at that time, I think I was working on other things too. Like I said, I had just um, I had my cartoon that I was that I, my my short that I did at Nickelodeon, uh, Fred Seabird's uh, random cartoons at the time. Mm -hmm. So I was I was pretty busy. It wasn't that much of a, a, a it was a letdown, of course, because I loved working on the show. Yeah. But I was I was busy doing other stuff, so it wasn't that much of a uh, too much of a doubt, you know. Because I always try to stay creative on my own things as well. Because you got to if you don't have any longevity in this business. But uh, you know, Grimm was a very, very much a blessing in my career. And um, the fact that it's the gift that keeps on giving, yeah, says it's a testimony to how great a show it was. Because all those guys that came in and started, you know, pink slipping everybody, where are they now? I mean, who knows? But this show is still enduring. I'm talking to you now because this show is still enduring. You know what I'm saying? They oh, yeah. could be anywhere doing whatever, you know, they could be out in the cold and, you know, shoveling poop right now, but this show <laughs> is still going on. So that's a testimony. That's a testimony to Max's talent and his vision. It's a testimony to, to myself and Richard and Gray and everybody that uh, worked on the show. So Beautiful. Casimir um, uh, the Great wants to know, were there any plot lines or jokes from Maxwell and company that were too dark or risque or subversive that never got through? I'm assuming no, because you guys get the script as is at that point. Yeah, I would not you, I'm, you know. I don't, I'm not involved in that aspect of pitching ideas or whatever, so I would not be the one to ask about that. Yeah, that that would have been a great question for Max. Yeah, it really would have, man. Casimir, where were you? Um, was working with Richard again on Crash 4 fun? I know you said when you guys do games, it's pretty solo, but did you? Yeah, so I didn't even see Richard when I did that. So, uh, but, but running into him, it's always a pleasure for him. Richard is, is just a great guy. He's animated. That voice of his is iconic. He has an iconic voice. This is Max's voice. You know what I mean? So unfortunately, I didn't see him when I was working on Crash. But uh, we have uh, since reunited. Right before the um, devastating pandemic last year, we were all touring. Tim, Gray, and I, we did like a Billy and Mandy reunion thing. Mm -hmm. And we 
were geared up to do it in other cities. Uh, the first one we did was in Minneapolis. Was it, no, no, I'm sorry. It was Richmond, Virginia. It was at Comic Con in Richmond, uh, Galaxy Con, in Richmond, Virginia. And we were getting ready to go on the road with it, you know, and tour and you know different things. And now all of a sudden, you know, of course, what, what happened happened. And hopefully, you know, maybe it'll gear back up. So that was the last time I came. Well, I'm glad you planted that seed because I would love to have all three of you guys on at once. I contacted Gray a little bit earlier, and then she said post-pandemic she'd love to come on the show. Um, but I just did a reunion with the three Ed Boys, and that was the first time ever. We talked about that earlier. Almost yes. 70,000 views. So if you want to come on and break the internet and break my show, again, like the Ed Boys just did, please let me know. Um, but going on to the next couple questions here. Well, Man Ramis wants to know. Um, nope, not that one. Uh Entertainment Junkie wants to know, any funny recording session stories? Funny recording stories. Who made who laugh the most? Oh, I'd say you a funny story. Uh, yeah, Richard, again, Richard is a clown, right? Richard would do this thing. Um, I remember we were recording a session, and at the time, this song called Milkshake was uh, <laughs> You remember that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Richard would come in and do this little dance where he starts singing. And it was just like, uh, he would just, everybody in the studio would be like all over the floor. It was funny as hell. You see this little little Jewish guy going, My milkshake brings all the boys to me. <laughs> that was funny. Oh, man. Um... So we're almost done, almost done, almost done. Uh, Juiced Up Johnny wants to know, <clears throat> where are you from originally? As a kid, I always assumed you were from Trinidad, but I never actually really looked it up. We have That's, called, that's called acting, buddy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that means I did my job. No, I'm actually from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, believe it or not. You yeah. a Bucks fan? I am a Bucks fan, and yeah, I'm kicking much booty this year, man. Yeah, hey, all right. There you go. Yeah. I'm a Magic yeah. fan, sadly. So, uh, you know, we're... I'm hoping we're going to get that first round, first pick this year. So. Well, maybe. You know, well, you know, well, hey, look at the Lakers. Look at, you know. Oh, man, it was so fantastic. And not fantastic, because I'm a huge LeBron fan. Everybody shits on LeBron. I love LeBron. Uh, I understand what they're doing. I don't like super teams, essentially, is what everybody's trying to build. Look at Brooklyn. The Celtics started it back with KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce. Yeah. Um, I'm not a huge that. fan of that. But it was something. I like, the, I like when underdogs come back and kick your ass. That's my thing. I do too. And that's what like happened the, the last least, night. The, the least expect. You know? Devin Booker sent him packing home early. So it's going to be an interesting finals this year. Um, uh, so Moving Hold wants to know um, Could you walk us through the writing, pitching, and production or the process of your Teapot cartoon? Now, I know we talked about that just earlier. Uh, but what was that like trying to write, pitch, and produce that? It was actually a breeze because. Yeah. Um, I met a guy named David Kalani Naj. He's an incredible illustrator and character uh, 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 artist. And I think I was at a panel for Grimm, and he came and he gave me a comic book that he did. And I'd always had this this this, this idea for a hip hop cartoon in my mind. And uh, you know, I put the comic book on my coffee table and you know, let it set for maybe a week or so. And all of a sudden, I grabbed it and I'm looking at the illustration. And I'm saying, wow, this is really, really good art in here. This is some incredible stuff. So I, I contacted him. Unfortunately, he didn't live far from me here in Hollywood. We met for coffee. I told him my idea. I said, look, I have this idea about this little kid who wants to be a rapper, but he sucks. And his name is Teapot. And I'm looking for someone to do the character design. Would you be interested? <laughs> and he goes, well, you know, it just so happens I pitched a, um, a short at the time, Fred Seabird. And it was called it was called Random Cartoons. They changed the Random Cartoons. It was called What a Cartoon. And he was doing it at Nickelodeon. He did like the whole short Nickelodeon short program. And he told me about that. And I said, Well, look, I voiced a couple of those. So yeah, I'm pretty much familiar with that. Absolutely. I know about the Nickelodeon thing. And he had just gone in to pitch an idea. They didn't like it. So they told him to come back if he asked another idea. I said, Look, you want to walk this in? You can walk this in if you want. And he says, Yeah, this is definitely something I can go in there with. We can do it together. And that's how it was born. And when they, we had them at the first pitch, because, you know, first of all, uh, I think I was the first black animator that they ever dealt with for what it's worth. 
Um, they had nothing like what we were pitching. You know, people were pitching cartoons, but it was like, you know, animals and cute little characters and all that stuff. This was an actual little boy, you know, who wanted to be a rapper. And they had, they, nobody had ever done anything uh, with hip hop before. Um, now, after we did ours, I think the Wayans brothers came in and Nickelodeon did something called uh, Thugaboos or something like that. But I mean, I can't remember after the fact, but as far as like, um, with with what Fred Sieber were doing with the shorts program, this was like a first. So it it we were in we were in like Flint from the moment that um, that I that I pitched it. But then again, you know that 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 could be a fluke because it was a fluke because it was a great it was the timing. Timing is everything in business. It really is. So I'm not saying that's the way it's going to be naturally. If you have an idea, it can be hard sometimes just to get your foot in the door. But at that particular time, it just the opportunity, you know, everything just seemed to fall into place. And sometimes that can happen, you know? Yeah, 100%, man, because you could have all the work ethic you could possibly have. You could have all the talent you possibly need. But you got to have something that nobody ever brings up. There's an intangible in all of those things that whenever it comes to creative sports, anything like that, you got to have luck. You got to be lucky. Like you said, timing is everything. Precision is power right there. If you're not yeah. in the right spot at the right time, it don't matter how good you, you, your idea could be printing money, but for some reason falls on deaf ears or somebody's just not into it, or they're just like, nah, we don't really need that right now. It doesn't matter how good it is. So I'm hoping that in the world of everything coming back around, hopefully we can take another look at this just by hearing you give me that so small elevator pitch when you were talking about a kid that wants to be a rapper, but he sucks, but he wants to be. I would love to see that story. I want to see that story. Um, we just got a couple more here, and I know we're going to try to rattle them off as quickly as possible. Sonic wants to know, McDonald's or Burger King? Burger King, dude. I love them Whopper. <laughs> um, Dead Factor 117 wants to know, any behind the deep, any behind the scene details on Fred Fredberger? Well, he was voiced by um, C.H. Greenblatt. Was it C.H. Greenblatt? Yeah. And, uh, he created that character and he did the voice. The guy that created the character actually did the voice of that character. So I don't think he was a professionally a voiceover actor, but he did a really good job. You know, I thought it was a funny character. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, at night, 999 wants to know, with Billy and Mandy being so outrageous at times, what was it like working with the other voice actors in the network? I think we kind of covered that with uh, the little stories that we had right there. Um, but do you have any outstanding, or not outstanding, but do you have any memories that maybe come to mind as soon as you think about just working with those those two individuals right there, specifically? Well, it's just fun, fun, easy, fun session because we, we were all like, um, you know, we were all in the pocket with our characters, man. So it was just really a breeze to get in there and then a couple hours we'd be out. We recorded like two, two sessions, you know? It was just like bam, bam, bam. So it was really fun. It was fun and it was easy, you know? Beautiful. Yeah. And, and last question, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Python3x wants to know, I hope I didn't butcher that name, um, Grim and Evil is one of my favorite shows. Will it ever make a comeback? Check out the Maxwell episode. Um, what was it like working with the other legends like Frank Welker, Phil Lamar, Samurai Jack, one of my favorite shows. I'm so glad Phil Lamar came up in this one. And Richard Horvitz. Tell Greg thanks for the memories. Um, right. So we talked Richard, we talked Gray, we talked a little bit of Mark. But do you have any memories that might stick out with Frank Welker and Phil Lamar? Well, Phil came in and did Dracula for us, man. And it was funny as hell. He did him like, um, I think he did like, a, he, he, want, he did him like, um, Jesus, I haven't seen him on Red Fox. Yeah. You know, instead, of, instead of biting, you go, I scrape and lick, I scrape and lick. <laughs> and that was just, man, he had me dying. You know, he, he did a great job on that. Uh, and Frank, oh my God, Frank Welker. The first and one of the first animation things I've ever did was they uh, they, had, they had brought back you talking about old school cartoons. Remember um, Johnny Quest? They yes, brought sir. back Johnny Quest. This was like in the Jesus Christ, it was a while ago, like the mid nineties. Yeah, the, the new adventures. Ever, yeah, I, I this is the first time I ever worked with this guy, and I you know I heard of him and the legend how legendary he was, and I think that if I'm not mistaken that he did stand up at one point. Mm -hmm. I know Maurice LaMarche did, but I, I think yeah. I'm, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm sure he, I'm thinking it was Frank Walker. He was, no, he was a child actor. Frank Walker was a child actor. He did some Disney movies back in the day. That's but, child, but Frank Walker came in for uh, a Johnny Quest uh, taping that I did, and he played a tiger. I mean, this guy played a frigging tiger with the roaring and the whole thing. I mean, he had everybody in there goosebumps, dude. He was incredible. 
incredible. That's when I realized I was in the presence of a legend. And is in the and one of the nicest guys you ever want to meet. <laughs> yeah. Man, well, like I said, I've had fun. Thank you so much for spending some time with me. Uh, where can people go and find you if they want to see what Greg's up to? Oh, okay. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Eagle Eye, Eagle Eye Greg. And uh, follow me on uh, Instagram at Eagle Swag. Ooh. Eagle Eye Greg and Eagle Swag. And Grimware, thank you as well, man. Thank <laughs> you so much for this opportunity. Keep watching because I need them residuals, man. <laughs> <laughs> Shame the plug. <laughs> well, hey, no, man. You only gonna nobody will support you and nobody will promote you like you promote yourself, man. He's been Greg. I've been Julian. This has been the What's in My Head podcast, and this has been another piece of your childhood. Thank you guys and goodbye. Take care, guys. Thanks again for checking out the What's in My Head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.